I was told many times that how I was feeling was postpartum depression. And actually what I was feeling was the complete grief of giving up a baby. In September 2020, Harriet, a single mother, gave birth to a child she'd agreed to carry as a surrogate. What started as a kindness to friends ended in recriminations, mental trauma and a groundbreaking court case. The court would refer to me as the biological legal birth mother, but when I said that I was a biological mother, if I said I was a legal mother, I would be accused of wanting an inappropriate relationship with the child. In the UK, commercial surrogacy is banned. It's supposed to be a purely altruistic thing where everyone comes out happy. But the outcome in many cases is anything but. How can a surrogate provide consent when actually you have no idea how you're going to feel about the, the pregnancy, the birth? I'm Julie Bindle, and this is episode three of my exclusive investigation, Harriet's story, the truth about surrogacy. My ultimate aim of all of this and my intention was just to have contact with the baby and to, to maintain my presence in his life, which was something that was always agreed between us before we even started the surrogacy journey. Harriet agreed to carry a baby for a gay male couple who were family friends. It was a so-called traditional surrogacy where her own egg was fertilised. The agreement from the start, she says, was that she would be part of the child's life. The commissioning parents weren't just some couple that I'd met through a Facebook group from a burning desire to become a surrogate. They were, they were a really close family friend. And so they were a big part of my family's life. And so this wasn't a sort of a random couple that I had met. And so there's always this intention for me to be part of their lives, not as a mother role, but as a, a, a significant figure. Since... We chose to go through traditional surrogacy where I was using my egg. I felt it was really important for me, to, well, for the, for the child to grow up knowing its biological heritage. Um, heritage, I know from um, being in the environment that I work in and um, you know, knowing various people who have gone through um, adoption. Knowing heritage and knowing their biological connection is really important to their identity, their sense of identity. Being a single parent as well, I know how important it was for, for my son. I know it's like different circumstances, but to know that his personality comes from somewhere and to feel secure that, that you know, he's not this kind of crazy person that feels a certain way. Actually, that's something that his mum does as well. And, and even though I wasn't going to play a mother role, I wanted the, the, the baby, the child, to grow up um, having a really easygoing relationship with me where... They felt they could ask anything, um, anything about me, anything about my family, um, and to not be bewildered at all about where they came from. You know, 18 years in the big scheme of things isn't a long time, but it actually is a massive time for a child. And I think there's so much to catch up on um, and to, sense, to, to help direct who you are as a person, that to suddenly miss it on 18 years. And also as well, I think it's important for me to be, have that open and honest and easygoing transparency within the, the conversation about, you know, who his biological mother is or who, you know, where he has come from. Because I've known cases where there's, it's like the elephant in the room to talk about the adoption and they don't feel comfortable talking about, you know, the, the birth mother 
because it might offend the current parents. And I really wanted to have that conversation not there. I wanted the child to grow up feeling really confident that he could have lots of people that love him as opposed to just having two parents. And I wasn't, whilst I'm not, I wasn't planning to be a parent parental role at all, I wanted to be a really significant person where he could, he could know that he's, he has extra love in his life. But things quickly went wrong. Harriet felt a deep bond with her child from the moment of conception. She also felt dehumanised by the surrogacy experience. It was clear, she says, that the couple were hoping that after the birth, she'd quietly drop out of their lives. I felt very used and very manipulated by them and then just sort of discarded once I had done my job and sort of stood up for myself a little bit really and said, no, actually, this is not okay with me and this is not what we agreed and actually I don't feel as comfortable with just handing over the baby and just having nothing to do with the baby anymore. That wasn't my intention of ever becoming a surrogate. For me, it wasn't okay how I was being treated by the commissioning parents and how I felt... I felt so strongly that they were going to cut me out of the baby's life as soon as they could. And so I, I wasn't okay with that. Harriet had initially agreed to an order, giving up her parental rights. But she changed her mind. She went to the Court of Appeal to have the order set aside. In a hugely significant judgment, she won. It means she remains legally, as well as actually, the child's mother. What I heard from the respondent side in court was that they felt that that would somehow diminish their relationship with the child, which I thought was an extraordinary claim from two men who were parenting a child born of surrogacy, that they could actually benefit from you not being involved in this at all. And it struck me as deeply misogynistic that they would dismiss the birth mother, but they would also dismiss the fact that a child really benefits from having a mother in its life. It almost goes without saying how important a mother is. Until that mother is removed, then you sort of notice the absence a bit more. And so I think this is where some of the issues started to arise a lot more, is because I felt that maternal link very, very strongly, which is a completely natural thing to feel. And I feel that they felt threatened by that. And so because I refused... So before, um, we, we had discussed about what I would be known to him as. And I don't wish for him to be forced to call him mother. He's welcome... The, you know, the child is welcome to call me anything that he would like. Um, but I wanted him to have that choice himself, given be, being brought up in an environment which gave him the confidence to choose either way. I feel that that's the child's right to make that decision, being born of a surrogacy agreement. When they, I think actually when they got the baby, they thought I would disappear. It kind of came about in a way where they wanted me to actually turn around and say, I will not be his mother if he ever asks. And I refuse to say that because I don't feel that it's my place to refuse to be his mother if he wants me to be his mother. If he comes to me and says, I, would, I want to recognise you as a mothering role, then that's my responsibility as his biological mother to absolutely accept. And because I refused to deny that, that's where I think they felt very threatened that I would want to tell him that I'm his mother. 
this is one thing I actually found very um, sur- sort of confusing and surreal during all, all of this is that the court would refer to me as the biological, legal, birth mother, doctors, um, solicitors, the legal team, everyone around me. But when I said that I was a biological mother, if I said I was a legal mother, I would be accused of wanting an inappropriate relationship with the child. Harriet's case was the first in the UK to consider the issue of consent in surrogacy. The judgment made clear that Harriet had not given her consent freely, that she did not have a full understanding of what was involved, and that she had only agreed to the parental order on the understanding she could have access to her child. And I think it raises a really good question about consent and actually how can one, how can a surrogate provide consent when actually you have no idea how you're going to feel about the the pregnancy, the birth, um, and how almost a surrogate becomes a bit useless once they've had their, their right. Yeah, it, I suppose it brings me to the question about surrogacy per se. Now, we know that there is a huge debate about this, as there is at the moment on every single issue to do with women's liberation and bodily autonomy. I would put surrogacy, and in particular commercial surrogacy, but all forms of surrogacy within the same sphere as I would prostitution and the sex trade in the sense that women's bodies are seen as convenient for others, often men, but definitely for the benefit of those wealthier, more privileged individuals and, of course, the arguments about surrogacy when it comes to gay men, gay male couples in particular, wishing to avail themselves of these quote-unquote services we are accused of being homophobic and bigoted if we say that we don't think that men have the absolute right to have their own biological children or to use a woman's womb. Now, obviously, I'm speaking about this in quite blatant terms, which I'm aware might be offensive or jarring to you, bearing in mind that you have been through this process. And, of course, I mean no disrespect at all. But I just wondered how you now feel about the issue of surrogacy as a right or as a concept or as a phenomenon that seems to have grown quite kind of rapidly in the past decade. For me, any type of surrogacy should be completely banned. There is never a guarantee that a surrogacy journey is going to go well. It's going to not have complications. You are risking the life of that woman in every single surrogacy that happens and there is never any predictable outcome that it's going to end well and commercial surrogacy is absolutely the buying of babies and making babies to order and that is another form of human trafficking for me now and the fact that you can choose what sex embryo that you have and you can choose what color your egg donor eyes have in all those kind of things is buying your baby to order and any form of surrogacy has the ability to exploit women whether it's the you're doing it for a friend doing it for some random couple you met through Facebook and I think the more that we normalize surrogacy and we use it as a way of having children the more and more that it's going to become the norm and the more and more that women aren't, are going to lose their voices in this and the more that vulnerable people are going to be exploited. I know as a single mum that having that additional income, the expenses that, you know, are not really pregnancy-related expenses, but 
never actually got checked by the court either. That was a really lovely thing for me to have each month. You know, I was able to fix my cars, able to buy nice takeaways, things I would normally not have done had I not been in surrogacy. So I can see why it'd be extremely attractive for lots of families, especially single mothers, having that additional 1,100, 1,500 pounds a month. And you don't, because if you have had easy pregnancies or kind of relatively compl- complicated free pregnancies, you can see why lots of women would do it. Our government has been looking at what we should do going forward with surrogacy, with laws and policy. What do you think we should do? Because I know that there are many lobbyists, including lawyers, that get quite rich from this um, from this issue, uh, are pushing for full commercial surrogacy to be legal. They want the California model or they want the models that we've seen function around the world where women can be paid commercially and that means that you can advertise on the underground you can advertise um, online in publications for surrogate women for women to carry babies also for those that wish to sell their eggs which way do you think we should go forward in the UK if you were asked that question directly by a policymaker by a legislator what would your answer be? Surrogacy on a commercial basis is an absolutely abhorrent practice. Um, and so I think allowing a commercial policy in the UK is the start of a big downfall of, of women's rights. And, and I think it will cause long-term problems health-wise, um, put more stress on the NHS, etc., and, and workplaces. I think all surrogates should be protected more with having um, an independent doula um, who is there for the surrogate only, not for the the um, use of the commissioning parents. Um, I have seen a surrogacy company offering the use of a doula, but that doula is very much working for the surrogacy company. The idea of consent needs to be really upheld. I felt obligated at every stage of the way to hand the baby over. I felt like I was very much pushed in the model of told, well, you're not going to get the baby back, so you might as well just agree to it anyway. See, I would campaign, I do campaign for an end to surrogacy, for an end to that arrangement, for an end to those so-called not-for-profit organisations that broker this, that signpost parents on to countries that have full commercial surrogacy. I think it's a slippery slope. I think that those altruistic um, surrogates that may speak out that are the poster girls for happy, problem-free surrogacy are, in my mind, very similar to the so-called happy hooker, um, the woman who is a front for prostitution, who doesn't have any health problems. All her clients are sweet-smelling and gentle. She earns loads of money. She sends her kids to private school. She has a second home in the Cotswolds. I'm sure somewhere in the world that woman exists. I've never met her. She's certainly atypical. So I would argue, and I do campaign, for an end to surrogacy. When people say to me, but what about the sister that wants to do that for her brother? What about the best friend who wants to do that for her her gay male friend and his partner? Well, okay, we may not hear about them. If it really is a private arrangement, if it really isn't, something that's commercial or that's somehow brokered by organisations that we know exist for commercial gain, I would say, then we're not going to hear about that. There will always be the odd occasion where a woman does give birth and the baby 
grows up happily ever after with parents that have not been through any of this formalised process. But I would argue, and I'm really interested to hear what you think about this, that we should seek to end surrogacy because it brings misery and it is whether cash is involved at a level higher than the recommended expenses, it is babies for sale. I would be absolutely up for a complete ban on surrogacy because I don't think it's a case of my body, my choice. I don't think you ever really understand the full implications of surrogacy. You never fully can understand how, what it's going to do to your body. But as a society, we're told that we're just dismissed with our concerns about how we feel and our mental health. And I was told many times that how I was feeling was postpartum depression. And actually what I was feeling was the complete grief of giving up a baby. But I can imagine so many surrogates being just told, oh, you'll just, you know, you'll get over it in a couple of months, you'll feel this high afterwards. Actually, I think we really need to look at the process of it. You're being separated from a a baby. When I've spoken to people on a one-to-one basis about this and said all these other side of actually how I felt as a surrogate, it's changed their viewpoint on surrogacy. And I think that conversation needs to be had a lot more rather than when you do see surrogacy stories, hearing all these wonderful things and all these, like you said, these lovely stories of the poster girl for it. We don't hear about the negative side because you are shunned. You know, I'm, I'm shunned by the Surrogacy UK groups now because of that. I've spoken out and gone, this isn't OK and what, what's happening isn't OK. And you're actually misleading a lot of these young women into thinking that everything's going to be rosy. And that's a really dangerous precedent to start kind of going down, I think. And, and especially when there's a lot of vulnerable women out there and, and men who will quickly take advantage of the situation to push their wives into surrogacy as well as a, as a quick £15,000 to make. And I'm so grateful to you, Harriet, for campaigning in your own way within the courts where you've had to be very careful, you've had to protect the anonymity of the child. You've obviously been through a huge amount and yet decided to make a stance and you know that it will help other women, that this will have a ricochet effect and definitely will reduce the opportunities of those commissioning parents that want to push the birth mother out of the picture the second they have what they what they want. So it's 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 brilliant what you've done and I'm full of admiration and respect for you, Harriet. Thank you. We won heart a little bit of the journey. I mean no I don't don't think there's any sort of winners or losers of this at all. There's a, a child involved in all of this. Um but hopefully it provides a positive outcome. I'm grateful to Harriet for sharing her story, which is clearly painful and deeply personal, with me and with you, the listener. And I hope that it clarifies for you the issue about what many call rent-a-womb, womb trafficking, as it's an issue that I think is beset with mythology, misinformation and sanitisation. In my view, and in Harriet's view, we need to look at the consequences of surrogacy, of women being commissioned, whether commercially or altruistically, to give birth for the benefit of others. Ultimately, We need to consider the rights of 
the birth mother and of course of the child.